HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Taste Washington. With more than 235 wineries, 65 restaurants, and some of the nation's most talented chefs, Taste Washington is the ultimate taste test. Learn more at tastewashington.org. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating it's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne. It's an old Jamaican drink from way back, and we just decided to bring it back into existence. It's a drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I talk to women I admire in the hospitality industry who inspire me with the way that they've navigated the opportunities and the obstacles of life. Today, I'm excited to have a mother-daughter duo who together run an Indian restaurant in New York, which is an offshoot of the original in Houston, Texas. Anita Jessinghani, who I love trying to pronounce your name properly, is the matriarch, and she launched Indica first and then, and then Pondicherry. At the urging of her daughter, Ajna Jai, she opened Pondicherry in Manhattan. Ajna is the restaurant's general manager and is also an actress. So while her mother balances restaurants in two states, Ajna balances living in two very separate worlds. Center to all is their Indian heritage. Welcome, guys. Hi. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. So there's a mantra that you have that is how I want to start. And it's memory is being, eating is remembering. And I'm, I'm curious like, what that actually means to each of you and the way in which it might have inspired um, the, the business in your lives. 
Well, I think food is so central to how we exist. And um, growing up in India, what I ate, and then when I came back here, when I came to first Canada and then to the U.S., and what I saw of food was so disturbing almost with Indian food. And I knew there was so much more to the cuisine. And at that time, I didn't really know what I could do, but I knew I could do something. So I began to play with that. And now fast forward, you know, 20 some years. Now I've been cooking in the restaurant business for a while. I think one of my happiest moments is when I see an Indian eating at a table and giving me these eyes that are, they're rolling backwards saying that, mm-hmm. oh, I remember this room and I, mom made it. You know, that's to me the most rewarding moment. So. so what are your greatest food memories? Like if you think because you grew up in Gujarat? Yeah. Is there is that the cuisine that speaks to your soul? And like what food is it that brings you back? And what is that memory that's the most important food memory you have? Uh, it's not Gujarati food, which which is where I was born. It's not Sindhi food, and I'm a Sindhi. It's actually food from the streets. So it's street food. It's like pani puri. It's pao bhaji. It's eating a biryani on the side streets. It's all that escaping. And I was a rebellious kid. I was a rebellious adult. I'm a rebellious woman. <laughs> so I always wondered what I couldn't have. And I didn't know why I couldn't have it, but I wanted it. So street food was considered kind of, you know, you only eat that if you're desperate and... I would tell my mom that why does a guy at the corner cook better than you? And she get really mad at me. <laughs> but I felt that some of that food was really good. So I'd say street food is what I, when I go back to India, I mean, there's great hotels and amazing, you know, multi-course cuisines now. But it, as Ajna knows, she's <laughs> laughing when she's, I sent her to India for a summer. So I want her to do, I want to segue into her answering this and how much pani puri did you have, sweetheart? <laughs> <laughs> off the streets, off people. You know, she didn't care that it wasn't clean. She just ate it. She got sick and then she got better. <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of lesson that is. It's, but And what about you, Ajna? Well, yes, to eating lots of street food in India. I'd say that's probably one of the best memories. And you will get sick eating that food, but it's so tasty. It's just worth it. I have to admit, I got sick eating that food in yeah. India, and I'm not sure. I, you know, <laughs> I, it took a lot to get over that. But yes. uh, <laughs> so do you have, because you grew up in the U.S., do you have a memories of eating that food in the U.S. or your mom's cooking? Like, was your mom a cook when you were growing up? Yes, I have lots of memories with that. I actually, we never really went out for food. It was always at home. So to me, whenever I heard people going out to dinner, I'm like, what is that? (laughs) All we do is sit at home and eat. It's so boring. And then later on, I realized how amazing this was because it was my normal. I would trade all my food and lunch uh, in lower school and middle school for answers. I made her a different sandwich every day. And she'd mom, can I just get PBJ? I'm like, what is that? <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know so what wait, that is. What did you make? And you traded for answers. Yes. Usually kids traded for other food. Oh, I didn't know this. Answers. Yes, I wanted to make sure I had good grades. And okay. sometimes you got to do some things to make sure you do. <laughs> There's always one class that's taken a test before you. <laughs> so, yes, she would make some amazing sandwiches, which is actually funny because we have it on the menu now. And some of my best memories is well, she made a non-witch, which basically is a non-sandwich. And she Non would, being a bread rather than N-O-N. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Non being the bread, exactly. Um, so almost like a panini, but not really, if I had to help anyone figure out what it was. 
but she would make it with chicken and with vegetables and with everything. And we have it on the menu now. And every time I see someone eat it, I'm like, you have no idea what I did with those <laughs> about 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, so. And and people accepted them. They weren't like, your food's weird. Why would I want that? It didn't give you the answer. Um, at the beginning, they did. But I think I knew the power this food had. So I'd be like, sucks for you. And I would just eat it. And I'd be like, take a bite. And then I'd be like, that's all you're getting. So <laughs> until later on. <laughs> And, and then uh, you had no lack of answers, I suppose. Yeah, no, I was good. Well, she also went to an international school where mm-hmm. they were much more open to new foods. And they also, and also uh, she went to India almost every year till she was about 10 or 12. So she had been to India. She knew the foods that we ate there because when we were there, we ate out a lot. Right. So that wasn't staying at home. No. So... so you were a microbiologist? Yes. And... Microbiology and food, actually, that's a great combination. I bet the food is very, very safe at Pondicherry, but how did, you, how did you make that transition? I didn't, I mean, I worked as a microbiologist because that's what I had studied to do. And, you know, wanting to cook and open a restaurant wasn't something that I even thought about doing till I lived in Canada for a few years. Then, I mean, I'm one of those people that likes to talk shit. I'm like, oh, I'm going to open a restaurant one day. And people are like, yeah, sure. You know, people say that. And then years later, and I would eat at like a French restaurant or an Italian. I'm like, why is this food considered like high cuisine? And why is it, why is Indian like ethnic? Why is ethnic just like shit? I mean, ethnic is amazing too. So I never understood why people called foods from, was it just a from poor country or is it because we were from warm countries? I don't know. I didn't understand that. I know that one time ethnic food, Italian food was considered ethnic food in the U.S. So I wanted to showcase Indian food in a way that I really thought it belonged. So I began that path of I'm going to open a restaurant. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so... You proved all those people wrong. Yes. And actually, at the time, I said that, okay, I'm going to go work at a restaurant. And at the time, I looked up all the restaurants in Houston. Cafe Annie was considered the best at the time. It won number one. And uh, I went, walked in there. I told my friends, I'm going to apply there. They're like, and I'm like, I said, my bottom is I'll go to McDonald's, but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> and fortunately, the first place I applied, they hired me. They wanted me to come in as a hostess. So I'm like, no, I want to be in the kitchen. I'll take dishwasher, I'll take anything, so yeah. Did you start as a dishwasher? No, 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 I started as actually a pastry helper, um, and uh, I then became a pastry cook. I was never the pastry chef, they've given me that title. My friends at Cafe, they're very kind, they they promoted me as a pastry chef, I was not the pastry chef, <laughs> and I did do a lot, I did do pastries there, though, and I learned about pastries, which I, I learned so well, I learned things that I needed to learn at the time, you know how life gives you what you need, not what you want sometimes, so... So, um, Ashna, you're also a, a, a double hyphenate, right? So mm-hmm. if your mom's like a, a microbiologist, uh, restaurateur, you're an actress, um, manager. So Wait, she's also an architect. She went to architecture school. <laughs> that's why she did. <laughs> she's a degree in architecture, too. Yes. From UT Austin, yes. yes. Okay, you're a triple hyphenate. Yes. So um, can you tell me, what are the connections between... Um, acting and managing like are there are the the restaurant world and the acting world i'd say there's many uh things that are very very similar you just wouldn't notice it unless you were doing both but managing a restaurant means you have to think from a to z you have to make sure everything is set up you have to be ready for anything that can happen but if you are prepared 
whatever happens, you can handle it. And I feel like that's the same thing with acting, where if you are very prepared, you've done your homework, you know what's happening, you know your lines, you know the product, you know everything, whatever happens at the time, whether it's an audition or a scene or a filming, if you, if you have the tools, you're okay. And I feel like we learn that the hard way sometimes, like when you're not prepared or... It, Give it, me an example. Like, what is your worst, like, oh my gosh, you cannot believe what happened in this restaurant and oh I God. wasn't prepared. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, let's see. People okay. in the restroom with, you know, smoking drugs. Yeah, we've Having had... sex in corners of the restaurant. Oh, yes. Yeah. What do you do when you... When, um, I'm sure, like, mm-hmm. I've heard that up and down the food chain. Uh, what do you do when you find people having sex in the restaurant? Oh, I'm, I just go knock on the door and I'm like, get out or I'm calling the cops. And, I, and we have called yeah. the cops. Yeah, yeah. And I don't try to hide it from customers. I'm like, trying to hide this is going to be dumb. I might as well show you this is what happened. So then I feel like all the customers are like, oh, cool. That was fun. You know? <laughs> so I've learned in Pondicherry, I don't want to hide anything that's happening. Our kitchen's open. Our bar's open. Everything is there for you. I, I don't want to be that kind of restaurant. It's like Very transparent. Very, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. one thing we are. Yeah, and... Then, same thing in acting. One time I went to a huge audition and I stapled the sides of this audition the wrong way. And I kept thinking, this is so odd, but okay, I'll go with it. And I never crossed my mind to read it again from my email. I walk into ABC with the executive casting director and he looks at me like I am such an idiot. And I can't help but laugh at this stupid <laughs> mistake I've made. And then I ta- I learned that I can't, I have, to, I have to follow up on everything I do. I can't, you know, I'm there I am saying the dumbest story to him. <laughs> and had that come out in the end? I mean, I didn't get the audition. Yeah. Um, and I had to email my agents and tell them of my little mishap. Because the last thing I wanted them to hear is from the casting director and then from me. So um, they laughed. So I think being upfront is, I think it's a family trait. Um, did you teach Ajna to be as direct? Because I think women, often we obfuscate, we avoid. Yes. I do. I can don't have to speak for women. I certainly do sometimes. Um, do you, like, where does that come from? Because that rebellious spirit, does that translate into being very direct? I mean, I've been told I'm very direct. I'm just myself. I don't like to hold on to feelings and emotions <laughs> if I'm upset. Sometimes if it's on a busy shift and I see something happening where I want to go, like just take one of my waiters and say, why did you do that? I have to take a deep breath and wait till the end of service or post on our you know, internal Slack saying that, why did I see this happen on a Friday night at 8 p.m.? So I'm a little better now, but I definitely, and I'm not reactive, but I I do like to get to things immediately. I don't want to, like if, if you're working for me, you never have to wait till the end of the review to find out that I think you're a <laughs> terrible you know, whatever, graphic designer or manager or a cook, like you will know instantly. And Do you think with, there's any downside to that? Probably people find me very hard to work with sometimes. And it's it's a cert, it takes a certain kind to work for me and not feel like, and I feel like, you know, in the end, life is about people, not about food or, so in my business, I want to nurture people. Nurture, before I nurture people, I've nurtured myself, nurture my team then they will nurture our customers. And if my, I also, you know, going back to a very deep belief of Ayurveda, that if you treat people with kindness, so I, I'm not, I don't go around abusing, screaming, yelling, that doesn't happen in our kitchens. But if something doesn't taste good, man, it's gonna, they'll know right away that 
that needs fixing. Okay, so Ashna, you are um, managed by your mother, though you are a manager yourself. Um, what does it feel like to have that direct laser focused at you? Well, I just focus it back. <laughs> yeah, we are an explosive. Yes. People think that we are like we are. Sometimes we're arguing. We are arguing. We are. We are not fighting. We are just having a discussion that seems very heated. But uh, we sleep better. Yeah, and things happen better. Um, I mean, my mother has so much to teach me that most of the time I should probably just shut up and I'm smile. I'm gonna remind you of that later. I honey, know. So. I know. <laughs> um, but I. The one good thing. Even though it sucks at times to hear the truth about yourself or how you handle something wasn't the best or having someone remind you of that, is that at least it's out there. Um, I feel like in the restaurant industry or probably other industries, um, you can just sleep on so much versus not. So What does that mean? Meaning like if something went wrong and I know I messed up and uh, a server did something and I didn't talk to them, I'll go home thinking about all of that. Right. And the whole point is that I leave work at work and I go home and be at home. So I have a tendency to to do. I had a tendency to do that. I still sometimes. But my goal is to be able to talk about it at the end of the shift, get things resolved so that I can sleep well, they can sleep well and we can just run a business. Although they might not sleep so well. So did yeah. you did you ever have a thinner skin? Like, did you grow up as a thin-skinned kid? We both are mm-hmm. extremely thin-skinned, very sensitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I'm, I'm a, we both cry babies. We cry at anything and everything. Like, I cry at ads, I'll cry. We cry when we see each other, you I, know? I remember <laughs> one customer when we first opened, we were, we were really busy and I was having some trouble uh, staffing the morning, which kind of meant that I was there a lot. And we, he ordered our peanut noodles, which I think are so good. I was like, oh, he's going to love this. And, you know, he came up to me and goes, I don't like these. And instead of having an answer, I just cried. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and my whole staff oh, saw no. me cry. And I was like, why don't you like them? What is wrong with you? And I was so mad at him for not liking it. And then I had to go and sit down, and then I went back and apologized to him. And now he still comes in all the time, and we say hi, and we're great. And he's happy that I'm not crying as much, so, you know, it kind of worked out. Um, but I still told him that he needs to fix his taste buds, because that... It, it was really his yeah, problem, Yeah, I don't know actually. what he was thinking, so... <laughs> and um, so, when you were little, would you have ever imagined that you would work with your mom? It's a long time. Yes and no. Okay. Um, a part of me kind of saw it coming. How? Um, I don't know. I feel like when we first opened the restaurant... You like were 13, 13. 12 or 13. Yeah. yeah. And I hated staying at home. And I remember going to the restaurant being like, I'm going to find a way where they need me. Because I wasn't very social in school. None of that was exciting to me. So... I expoed. I didn't even know expo was a position in a restaurant. I don't think any of us knew that. I just what? decided to become the person to help this happen. And what is it for those who are listening who don't know what an expo is? Yes. An expo basically is someone who stands at uh, the kitchen end of the window. kitchen, kitchen yeah. window to make sure that the right food goes out to the right table. It's a very important job, <laughs> extremely important, and you need someone who's very organized and can can see, and they also supposed to communicate with the kitchen and communicate with the front of house so that there's no miscommunication happening. So we had a bunch of older men and women listening to this little 13-year-old. <laughs> Were you really just bossing people around? Well, I knew it. I could read the tickets. I had figured it out. 
So they actually did listen to me and it actually did become such a job that I remember one Friday I wanted to go hang out and my mom's like, no, <laughs> who's going to expo? <laughs> Um, how did you feel having your daughter in the kitchen? Uh, I mean, I loved having her there, and she was always like always on my footsteps. She wanted to be near me, like she. I think her main goal was to find a way to be near me, uh, and the only be be around family, I guess. So, and her and she doesn't like to eat; she likes to nibble. So, what the cooks would do when she, they, you know, they when they figured out that she was actually making their life better, mm-hmm. not taking away their jobs, and she was actually creating more ease among the front and the back. Everybody just began to love her, and then she'd be given little like things to drink, little things to eat. So she'd be nibbling all day long, and and she's always probably been my biggest fan food-wise. She really just loves everything I cook, almost, you know. So it's um, you do not sound like a good critic in that case. Yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. you need someone to be like, "Mom, that is awful." awful. Oh, yeah. We do oh, that oh, she'd, too. Oh, she'd tell me yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, every birthday they had, she and my son growing up, they wanted me to cook, and I'm like. Can we go out? Can we just go out somewhere? And I think maybe the one or two birthdays we went out, but usually it was I was cooking at home. Or did you feel like you had an absent mother because she was working all the time? Or no, I appreciated it. I didn't really want her at any PTA meeting or checking up on my grades. Or like I appreciated the fact that I could do my life on my own. Her dad was and doing enough of checking up yeah, on her grades. So, it was kind of yeah. nice, honestly. Like I didn't need her. I feel like it's smothering at some point. So I liked that I had, like, my life, and then I could go to the restaurant life. I enjoyed that. Um, obviously, there's some times where I'm like, Mom, come do this. But I think in the end, it was much better. Well, we were closed Sunday, Mondays in those days for yeah. the first, like, seven years. You know, before, before I opened Pondicherry, we were closed Sunday, Monday. So that always gave me time at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I always look for um, a validation because, of course, my kids, I wasn't running a restaurant. You know, my daughter uh, loved guilt tripping me like, you're never home. Like, you're never at pickup. You're never at drop off. You're never at my games. You're never at soccer. You're never. I'm like, that's actually not true. I met those things a couple of times <laughs> a week. No, like a couple times a <laughs> semester. Okay. Um, but I do feel, and everyone always said to me, later on, she'd appreciate she's it. Gonna appreciate, she's going to appreciate. She's going to be like, my mom worked hard, and you know she'll take that ethic. And so when I hear this, and you're not like, yes, I still bear the marks of disappointment that my mother wasn't. There. It's not true. Plus, you got to work together. Yeah. No. I mean, I probably had moments when I was younger. I remember she came to one of my swim team, uh, big. Meets. meets and it was uh basically you the race was in two parts and i was never the best i was just doing this for my college hey, you were the captain. i was a captain yes because yeah, yeah. i'm slightly bossy but um <laughs> i remember getting i was in the first round and i got last but that still meant that i was ahead of everyone else and the whole time my mom's like you got last honey like why did we even come you know and I thought you know I really like my life alone like I don't need you to come on anymore yeah I'm fiercely competitive if I'm in that ring I want to win I don't want to be even number two so yeah this it's not a good trade but so there you have it so um when you are developing dishes um how does that work with the two of you um, I think she takes what I do and changes it a little and then creates what she thinks is a new dish. So, unfortunately, <laughs> Ajna or my son, you know, they would hover around me when I was cooking. 
they just didn't really want to actually cook. You know, they didn't want to actually see, okay, how does the process begin from A to Z of creating anything? You know, it's simple curry or rice or something. And now they've figured, they both have figured this out. So she has, I think there is, there are so many, speaking of food memories, there are so many food memories Archer has. Summer, she's like, Mom, you know, we used to make this. Can we make this and do this with it and do that with it? And I'm like, oh, let's try that. So sometimes it comes from that. Or I'm just experimenting with new ingredients. You know, I've been playing a lot with adaptogens in my food and playing with, uh, like, I feel like food matters so much. It always has, but to me it matters more than it ever has in my life. So I feel like what we put into our bodies is so important and why should not everything have value, whether it's joy value or actual mm -hmm. health value or emotional value, but it should have all those. So, Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear um, about how Ajna rules the kitchen. <laughs> yes. So stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Taste Washington, a food and wine lover's wonderland. Taste Washington offers the most wine and food from one single place in one single place, including samples from more than 35 wineries, 65 restaurants, 60 exhibitors, and some of the nation's most talented chefs. Each spring, attendees can drink and eat their heart out over four days brimming with specially curated events that highlight the best of Washington State. The result of a continued partnership between Visit Seattle and Washington State Wine, Taste Washington is taking place March 28th to 31st, 2019. Mark your calendar for this year's lineup featuring the Red and White Party, Taste Washington on the Farm, the New Vintage, Seminars, the Grand Tasting, and Sunday Brunch. Learn more at tastewashington.org. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Andrew Friedman, and I'm the host of Andrew Talks to Chefs here on HRN. Every week, I interview a diverse cross-section of the best and biggest names in professional cooking. Give a listen and get to know all about the inner lives of chefs. You can find Andrew Talks to Chefs wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly. My guests today are Anita and Ajna, who are the um, the owner and the general manager. I feel like you're so much more than that. Can I give you a new title? Could you ask your mom for a new title? Do you have one? <laughs> I don't know. Pondicherry Queen. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, and Pondicherry Queen. Um, extraordinary restaurateurs who serve the most delicious Indian food. So I often have to have breakfast meetings, and I'm always looking for someplace to go that isn't just coffee. And I love the Pondicherry chai so much. Um, I walk in and I'm almost like the, you know, my mouth starts watering and I'm just waiting because, you know, I'm waiting for the server to get it to me and my hands, are, they're not shaking to be fair. Um, but I just like, my sense of anticipation for that chai is so high. And then there's this incredible breakfast dosa um, that like they've 
you know, worked on. And every time I bring someone in, I'm like, you have to have this. <laughs> so it doesn't actually allow me to work my way around the menu very much because I'm so incredibly dedicated to the things that I love. And like, could I try this? I'm like, no, you actually have to have the dosa because the dosa is so good. And um, but then I was in for dinner recently so I, I got to actually taste around the menu and I can assure you that it is not only the doses that are extraordinary and part of the reason um, I think that the food is so great is that there's so much love, attention, care put into the food and the ingredients themselves and the, and the thought process but a lot of it I think comes from Ajna, you being, you know, tough and on top of things. And um, I just, I'd love to hear about how you, uh, how you've mastered that kitchen. Well, I guess we could start with the fact that my whole life with Houston restaurants, I never walked behind the line. Not even once. Wow. It was just like blocked off zone. Um, so I did everything else. So then when we... Behind the line meaning you never cooked. Like you yes. never, you were never near the fire or the flame no. or the... Nothing. You know, nothing. Only the kitchen window. I wouldn't even go back to grab something. I was uh, so afraid. Why is that? I don't know. It, it just seemed like a no man's land to me and I or had... all man's land. Yeah, all man's <laughs> land. There we go. That's exactly what it was. I think that might have been a lot of it. And there was hot equipment and I, I just, I don't know. I never, it never crossed my mind to even step back there. Um, and in a lot of restaurants, even when you work, you never see the kitchen. Some restaurants, right? You just the food just comes out somehow. So, but um, when we opened Pondicherry, New York, and my mom was going back and forth, um, I remember one day there was this male chef <laughs> who uh, was downstairs doing something, and there was an order of a dosa, and I didn't know how to make a dosa. I mean, that was his job in my mind. And I called him. I'm like, I need you to make this dosa. And he goes, what are you going to do if I don't? And I was like, you can leave right now. And it took me about like 30 times. But I finally got this dosa. And then I realized that no one is going to take me seriously, especially in New York where it's so hard to staff a kitchen, good kitchen workers or good cooks or people who learn to care. Um, no one's going to take me seriously if I don't learn it. So then I just was there any chance I could. I was like, I'm going to learn every single dish so everyone back here knows that I can do their job. And, right, no, no breaks. You can truly be fired on the spot and you'll just pop in. Yeah, exactly. So no, it sort of brought everyone to realize that, you know, your job here isn't cushy. We, the food is very important. You can't decide if you want to do something. And sometimes having, you know, a young... A young woman, or sometimes I feel like I can look like a young girl telling you what to do. They don't like hearing that. So I feel like if I show them, too, that I can do this. And had you enjoy being on the line? Oh, and then I was like, why haven't I done this the whole time? I don't have to talk to anyone. All I do, <laughs> half the time I have to talk to customers whom I love, and I know they're the heart of our business, but... Being behind the line is so much fun. It's like a video game. Like the more <laughs> tickets we get, I love it when we have like 20 or 30 tickets. I'm like, let's go. So if it had my way, I would just be back there doing the line. It's so much fun. Not everybody feels that way. And how, do, how do you feel about, um, how do you feel about front of the house? Like, do you feel like that plays on your um, acting skills? Or do you feel like you shouldn't actually play on your acting skills because you should be totally authentic? Yeah, it, it's a mix. <laughs> I feel like when I was younger in front of house, I had no uh, f 
filter because I knew my mom. You still was, don't have I know, a filter. Okay, you need fine. to build one. I know <laughs> that is. I feel like that's probably the ultimate problem. Is I know I'm working for my own restaurant, so I very authentic. Let's say, um, but front of house, I, I, I do love it. I think now that I'm finally saw what the line in back of house is, is every time I'm in front of house, I'm like, this is boring. Can I just go back there? <laughs> but front of house has its own beauty. I used, when I was a host younger, I remember every Friday I would get like all dressed up and I would be host and I thought it was so much fun. And we didn't have resi or yeah, anything. Yeah, we could handle all. a 200 or 300 reservation night and she could manipulate the room. Mm-hmm. The only hostess and she did it when she was like 16. Yeah, I had the bus boys. I had a system where I'd yeah, put up my hand signals and they all for had how to much look at me. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and did you have ever have any fear of having a daughter in a restaurant business? I've, t- I've spoken to so many um, either chefs or restaurateurs, and they're like, I, the last thing I want is for my child to be in the restaurant business. No, gosh, that never even crossed my mind. <laughs> but also, you know, circumstances in my life after we opened New York mm-hmm. forced Ajna to be more present. I was going to be here a lot more than I actually was. So I think that's what that's kind of changed the game for us. I couldn't be here and she had to. Um, How do you feel about that? Because there's an emotional core to the, you know, you you had to stay home to take care of um, people at home. Yes. And, uh, but that means that your life got, well, you had a choice, I'm sure, but it got derailed a bit because you're on the path Oh, everything got derailed. Yeah, everything did. And I think we went through a lot of like anger and anguish and angst. I mean, we still are coming out of it. So it wasn't. What was that like? Like, What was it like just the conversation of like, I need you to do. Well, what what was the conversation? I mean, it wasn't pleasant for sure. I feel like that was the toughest part. I remember one time a customer being like, this food didn't taste that good. And I'm like, in the back of my head I'm like you're right and I know why and I'm so mad I like so irritated about everything and now I have to you know comp this and get something better for you because you're completely right but you have no idea the 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 breadth of what's happening uh and it was very tough between my mom and I trying to figure out what to do I think in the end though that a lot of it if I had just sort of grown up a little bit and realized the situation and what I had to do probably would have been a little bit easier for me I think in my head I was still a rebellious child like why isn't my mom helping me why isn't someone helping me and until I realized like I have got to do it (laughs) and um I mean I think it's totally understandable really right yes I think you're probably we're all brought up with this notion of completely free choice Mm -hmm. um and it didn't maybe feel so free to you no no but then I realized at some point right if this is my reality which is is now fully my reality. If I don't take it and embrace it fully, I'm going to wake up unhappy every single day. So it's either I take it all and enjoy it um or I, or I hate it. You know, which I <laughs> seems ridiculous. <laughs> Why do that? Yeah. And what about you, Anita? When you like when this you came to this crossroads, like what what did you go through? Well, I think you know, I feel like your world, Dana, like your world, the press world or the they don't, I don't think they've really, they ever take into account the human side of businesses, whether it's a restaurant or, you know, what, but in most restaurants where there's a, some chef that has this like passion to put out with food, 
you know, we will go to, and I'm sure my chef friends can vouch for that. We'll go to any end to make it happen. And, you know, for me, when my husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer within a month of opening the restaurant, it, I think I cried for three weeks straight. Then I, I had to look at the report to believe it because he just didn't look like he was that sick. And even then it took me, and then, you know, the path we had to take, what do we do? You know, everything became like such a decision and coming back to New York. And when I was in New York, I was terribly guilty. When I was in Houston, I was terribly guilty. I was guilty no matter where I was and I couldn't think straight. My mind was in a fog, I think for almost two years. I, I was just in such anguish, depression, couldn't understand what was happening in my life. You know, I was, I feel like I had everything figured out and then boom, this bomb drops in your life. And then you think back, you see, you know, I should have seen it coming. There were signs mm -hmm. I missed. And I think that's always hindsight. And um, so fast forward, you know, Ajna also going through those same emotions because, you know, she was very close to my husband and she it was her stepdad, but she was very close to him. So we were both trying to figure out what to do and how to manage uh, our lives and keep the business, you know, somewhat operational. Forget <laughs> making it perfect. It was just, can we just make it, can we just make sure we, the doors are open and we are not, you know, falling apart completely. And then it kind of morphed into the new normal, the new reality. And then coming out of that, you know, after you passed away last fall, that was the the shocker and all we went through in my relationship with the medical community, which, you know, is a whole new thing. And then figuring out that what is my role in life? Like, what am I here to do? I mean, I can, I know I can make really tasty food. That's like, to me, that's almost boring. I, I can do that in my sleep now. I can make food that's damn good. But what more can I do? You know, so it became a bit of a self-exploration in my own journey that I can do great tasty food but can I do food that really has meaning on on the plate and and I don't want to you know see I'm going to make healthy food because that instantly makes you want to open a bag of chips and <laughs> gorge on it so I want to just do food that has meaning and has uh, you know and Indian food has such roots I mean if you look at the roots of India and where we've come from as a culture we've always been the only culture that looks inward, that focuses on ourselves and not on the outward world. So I'm beginning my journey on how I want to make that food taste. And, and in the end, I'm such a believer that food has to taste good, no matter how good it is for you. I will not drink that awful, um, what is that green juice, that, wheatgrass? I mean, it's disgusting. I'm not going to drink it. <laughs> I don't care how good it is. So I have to find a way to make really healthy, wonderful food taste damn good. So... I'm gonna. There was so much in what you just said, and I'm so sorry about the that the path that, you know, the bomb that dropped in the middle of your lives so unexpectedly and then so painfully because it wasn't like, um, you know, all was good and then lightning hit. I mean, just yes. dealing with illness and doctors is so hard. Um, so, in order to you feel like the restaurant felt your stress yes, yes completely that was yeah both restaurants even the human houston one yeah. did and how, how why is that do you think i mean I, if some of it was just logical and physical 
and some of it was just emotional and you know you you can't i mean i am my work that's the biggest part of me so i can't just suddenly you know turn off my anguish and be in the kitchen and put everything on my phone was always next was always watching for a phone call or a text or something uh we went through so many you know you know like um chemotherapy so much of things that we had to go through and i had to be next to my husband going through that so when i wasn't there i was always and i began to come to new york less and less because i felt so guilty not being near him so and and ajna began to grow in her uh, um awareness and her maturity and you know like and knew what she had to do and we argued less and we came together more but even that it went went through its ups and downs yeah i mean i feel like what happened in new york it almost sounds dumb now but there were so many things to opening in a restaurant in new york that i just didn't know and i was planning on having two more people with me like my mom and my stepdad so things i mean we made so many like, mistakes we made I mean, I could write a book on what not to do when you open oh, in New yeah. York. I can do that. So yeah, it would, it would be probably <laughs> it would make a best-selling so book. Well. Yes, yeah, because um, there is because the city is different from other cities, you know, and it is it's a bit of a minefield. So what did you do wrong? Well, there's so many things. Like I didn't know how intense the Department of Health was, the Department of Labor, the um, things like you know my fans, Department of Buildings, the buildings, you know, and how many crooks there are in this city, you know, and ordering and and schedule scheduling I knew but paychecks and this and that it was literally every single thing in that restaurant I had to pick up but also to add to that it is a huge restaurant it's open seven days a week it's breakfast lunch and dinner yes. there's a bar there's a bakery there's a dining room there's this and I and to keep every and I only have a million ideas of what I want to do and the problem <laughs> is that help. you know we're like what do we take off but I should go but I love those cookies don't take those off and I'm like oh, should I move this out she's like no no but I love that. this customer comes in for that I'm like well we sell like three a week should we take them off so things like that you know what is it that and I'm not the I'm not a gimmicky kind of person I don't think about oh let me create this like gimmick that's going to be my signature people often ask you what's your signature dish and i'm like i don't really have a signature dish i don't sit there thinking that this is what defines me other yeah. uh, i will say you opened and the press was amazing right like pete wells in the times yes love the restaurant i mean i still wonder how i missed him i'm like was i walking around like a zombie and i didn't see you because yeah he came in about a yeah. month after you know i want i hope to i want to write to one of these days he came in a month after my husband was diagnosed or maybe right around no, then no it was it was like, yeah because they did the review in october and we opened in july and he was diagnosed at the end of august yeah. so uh you know i think the even the and i think when i i remember sitting in the hospital reading the review and there were just tears pouring down my eyes because for one thing i couldn't believe they came so quickly then i couldn't believe he said and any everything he said that was not okay i knew was not okay Me because too. i had been we knew he was right and i was like why do why does press thinks it's okay to review somebody so quickly like give you time to just settle into your shoes and i know it's the how quickly can i get to the restaurant to review it and you know we had a lot of buzz so people wanted to come and interview us and everybody wanted to come and make an opinion and then don't basically we want to the next one and i wanted to say can you just stay away for a year but they don't do that mm -hmm. so no they don't i mean i think yeah. the the um there's two theories one is people are paying um real dollars they're not paying they're not getting the meal for free mm -hmm. so um yeah, true. you know if people are paying 
full price, then it should be reviewable because they will be, judge. Yeah, yeah of right? course. And then there's social media, so the the press needs to get to it at the same time as, if not before. I mean, no, it makes before. sense. Social media uh, to be part of that conversation. And uh, but I know, I mean, it's a lament that I've heard from so many restaurateurs because it's so hard. Opening is so hard. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that has a short memory of negative things. So I forget how hard it was to open my first center. And then we moved. I'm like, oh, my God, that was traumatic. Oh, and then punish in Houston. Oh, my God, that was really traumatic. No, nothing so, beats New York. And then I'm Holy, like, wait. Yeah. yeah, it's like things. It's opening restaurants is like having a baby, but they never grow up. <laughs> no, no, it's like having a baby that decided to suddenly have more babies, and then they have more babies, and they have more babies, and there are all these damn babies around you, and you are the mother. <laughs> so, um, when you think about the the things that you want to be doing next, because I'm I'm just so interested to hear how this uh, journey is shaping itself, for, yeah. or how you are shaping your journey. Um, how do you? Th- Think about finding meaning. Well, first of all, my fundamental base is Indian. And, you know, I I want to identify with that because there is such a wealth of knowledge there that I want to tap into. And I think, you know, when you first, when people like me first leave India, we are so starstruck by everything American or foreign. It's like, you know, those gorgeous bananas that are beautifully sculpted that And when I first came from India, that was like my, like, how can fruit look this good? And I go back to India, I'm like, why are the bananas dark, scrawny, (laughs) limp? (laughs) But why do they, you know, it took me about a year of going, and I went back and forth a lot in the beginning, of, you know, figuring out that that scrawny chicken in India tastes so much better. And they didn't, it, it gets just sold at the market where they sell chickens. There's no such thing as organic and local. Everything there was organic and local because it was economically more viable than buying expensive chemicals and throwing it into food. So, and that's just how we grew up. We, there was there was nothing fashionable about being that way or about being, um, you know, the whole, uh, uh, let me be a minimalist, you know, and nothing was wasted. Like my mother stacked the newspapers. My, my father ordered eight newspapers a day. I'm not kidding you. So... He, he and he would read all of them and you know there was stacks every week there'd be a guy that would come and take all that and he'd you know recycle it same with bottles of soda or you know of like uh, the clear soda he had with his whiskey at night so we there is such a fundamental depth of knowledge in India that I slowly want to just tap into that and translate that in a modern way you know and create food that makes sense now and Did not you, just not just limit to Indian you know just did you ever have the thought um, after your husband passed that maybe it's not food? Like, you know, if it's if it's purpose you're looking for and you could do food in your sleep, that maybe the it's lifestyle isn't food. I mean, I'm just curious. Yes, I, I have thought about that. And, you know, I feel like I want to do more food like the scarf I brought you. I love I love fabrics. I love um, design. I, there's a lot of things. And, you know, I think in the end, I want to... Yeah, I feel like I'm going to keep going. And I and I don't want to define what I'm going to do. I feel the right answer is welcome. I want to be open to new ideas. So I won't say that I only want to do food. I'd love to do more than that. I don't know how that's going to fit into my life. But I've been getting a lot of, you know, people around me. I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by interesting people more and more. So I'm curious as to what comes my way and what I grab onto. So, so. Your, um, your process is staying open. Yes. And... 
eager, and you're certainly ready to learn from anybody. Curious. Yeah, very curious. And Ajna, you've um, been at this now for a, a couple of years. Do you do you feel like um, you're, it's now a rhythm that you enjoy, and you can't see your life without it, or do you feel like you know you go on auditions all the time, and you're hoping that um, like how do you, what do you think about? Well, now that I work so hard, I'm not. I want to be part of Pondicherry forever. I'm. This has given her a home in New yeah, York and a, and a base and a spine that I did not have. Um, well, yes, you did. Ben. Well, now it is like <laughs> stronger. I feel like there's like a legit spine. Um, so no, I definitely. So, I, how did you grow the spine? <laughs> Just through hard work. Hard work. No yes. choice. <laughs> you know the 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 person called out. You know you roll it. it just. You just do things you don't want to do. And I think and, when yeah. she came back to Houston after he was diagnosed and she saw my reality and she's like, OK, mom, I think the the reality hit her that she had to just grow up because I've definitely, you know, spoiled my kids and I've given them the overall the cushy life. So, yeah, she realized that she had to just jump in and adapt and do what uh, needed to be done. Yeah. But I would say, yes, I want to keep doing this job I want to I want to see Pondicherry grow more um, and I also want to act too and I feel like they can work with each other versus against each other well it makes you very sympathetic to people who want jobs and they're also actors which yes. in, in New York is a bit of a cliche right oh like the waiters mm-hmm. are all actors but you're like yeah I am too and I am a badass so yeah. <laughs> just being an actor does not mean that you can't yeah it's also a reality as an actor, I mean, are you really employed all the time? Even the biggest actors in the world are not employed 100% of the time. So if you have something else, it's always nice. You don't feel, I don't feel... Um, tied down. Tied down, but I also don't feel desperate in auditions anymore. I'm like, hey, I got to get back to the restaurant. Can we get this going? Like, you like me or you don't? Let's go. Come on. So that's how I feel when I walk in. And um, I know that with, with your mother, her identity as Indian is incredibly important. Um, and as she was saying, it's the, it's the key to the past and the present and the future in some way, yeah. in a very deep way. Um, and your identity as um, an India is obviously important, important to the work that you do, but also just in terms of advocating for people in the film industry. I just wanted to have you talk about that because it's ch- it can be challenging. Yeah, it can be very challenging. I... Being Indian is very, very important to me and letting people know that I think the most jobs I have booked on national television have me wearing a hijab, which I will take anything. I'm excited to have been part of those projects. They've been wonderful. But I really, really feel like there's such a missed opportunity. about what Indians look like. Yeah. She gets told all the time, you're ethnically ethnically ambiguous. You're not Indian. And I'm 100% Indian, but also the stories that they write. You know, if you look at television or you look at um, movies or all of that there's no actual really Indian stories out there but we've sort of encompassed everything else so I would love to be on the forefront of that saying like hey we exist we're here we're not just the dorky girl you know waiting for the guy to like us or the one who has all the homework answers which some of that might be true but yeah, you got a perfect math score on your SAT. Yes, I did. <laughs> but why can't that also be the lead girl? You know, so there's so much to to the industry that I want to do. But I also realize I'm not going to 
make a difference by just waiting here and auditioning. So I also want to be able to create my own work and sort of let everyone know who I am too. Now that I'm out of the fog of, you know, working in the restaurant 24 hours a day. Maybe it's now still, it's still a lot. I'm there probably six, seven days, but not every hour. So you have to come see Ajna um, at the restaurant. Um, She says she's a little shy friend of the house, but she's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Anita's here and, of course, also in Houston. Um, The the last part of the show, I I like to ask my guests to pay it forward. A woman in the uh, food or hospitality industry, um, broadly defined, um, who you think is under-recognized, and you'd like to pay it forward. Mm. Oh, to me? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, Can I pick some of my line cooks? But no, I know you wouldn't want them. Um, (laughs) Well, let's see. What's up? You know, I I heard your podcast and I thought about this. I'm probably going to have to get back to you on that, Dana. You can do a line cook. You know, I have this line cook that is 20-something or maybe 30-something now. Look now. Oh, yeah. And she came, I mean, she moved from Bangladesh to Italy with her husband, had three children with him. Um, You know, a Muslim Bangladeshi moved to Italy for 10 years, learned Italian, and she speaks, you know, fairly decent English, and then came over to the, and, you know, he came with her to the U.S., literally dropped her at the door somewhere uh, with her three children and went back and married somebody else, came back, has his own new life and disregards the entire family. So she has three children, two of which have mental problems because of what their father did with them. And she comes in, now she's one cook that shows up every day on time. She lives at the other end of Queens. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's one of the most inspiring people I see. She shows up and she always has a smile and she has an opinion and she's feisty and she can cook. What's her name? Her name is Lugna, L-U-G-N-A. And I, you know, it's so amazing to see that because most women in her place would have just sat there and felt sorry for themselves. And she gets up there and she comes, you know, she shows up on time. It, it just brings tears to my eyes sometimes to see the resolve it takes, you know, to live in public housing, to not have the luxuries that, you know, we're so used to, uh, not have anyone to depend on and just have, and now I hear she has a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> the other day I was going to complain, see, the look on the phone too much with this guy, she's on, you know, on FaceTime. I'm like, she has a boyfriend? Who is this? She's like, oh, I'll tell you later. And I'm like, oh my God. So it's, some, and you know, her oldest son is a teenager, mm. like I think 17. So. And um, what about you, Ashna? Um, so I feel like my life is a little bit too crowded in Pondicherry. I don't know enough about um, all the restaurateurs and everyone I should. But I'm actually going to just bring up a couple of restaurants that I love, if that sure. if that works. Um, for one, we're here at Roberta's, and this is probably one of my favorite pizza places ever. Also, there's a restaurant in uh, New York called Kajitsu. Oh, now, I don't yes. know who the chef of that is, and I'm embarrassed to say that. But it's probably the best food I've ever, ever, ever had. And it's so beautifully, and it's so feminine. So I'm almost wondering who this chef is. Oh, my gosh, is. Ajna, that she's so right. You know, we went to eat there, and we almost, it, it was just one of I the most want to play beautiful it, it, experiences we've ever had. Yeah. Um, right, it's, it's Shoujin cuisine, um, which is, you know, Japanese. It's ceremonial. Yeah, it is just wonderful. Um, uh, and was there one other? Yes. 
Oh, um, um, I also, there's a little cafe called O Cafe on 6th uh, Avenue and 12th Street. And it is such a beautiful little cafe with all the sweetest. I don't know if anyone. I go there all the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. you do? It's, I love I, their powder queso. Yes, it's the best oh one in gosh. the city. Yeah. So, my goal is to make a powder queso with cumin in it just to make oh. Ajna happy. So, one of these I days you'll see that popping there. up in the case. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she she makes us walk there just for the powder queso. Well, it's actually it's run by a man who's wonderful. I worked there. But the woman in the kitchen, her name is Sandra. She cooks everything. She bakes everything. And she just has such a touch. I remember just watching her make everything, thinking you have, like, like magic in your magic hands. Hand. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do a bonus round really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Indian food in New York. Do you ever eat out Indian in New York? Nope. Wow. Um, Mom or at your own restaurant? I have, and I've just come back to what I do. Just because I find that most Indian food is either flashy or it's too traditional where it's heavy and it just kind of knocks you, makes you want to take a nap for three hours. So my goal with Indian food is how can it be light, tasty, deeply flavorful? Um, I mean, if I do eat Indian food, I have so many opinions that I just bother myself during the meal. But I'd rather <laughs> just go eat something that I can't. Right. So Go eat some French food. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Thank you guys so much for coming. If people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? Yes. Yep. Pondicherry and Pondicherry NYC and Ajna Jai. And this is Dana Cowan. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Broadly this week. Um, you know where to find me on social at FW Scout. And um, if you love this show, go subscribe on Stitcher or iTunes. I want to thank um, Nita Medvitskaya for being my uh, silent guest and Matt Patterson for such a great engineer today have a great week and we'll see you again next week or hear you again next week or be you'll be silent and i'll be talking next week (laughs) have a great week thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.